This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How many things are different since we met, since before the pandemic, how my life has changed and how a lot of people's lives and and how things that you didn't realize were so important are really the important things, right? It's not just your career and it's not just, you know, how you show up at work. It's just, it's really the words that come out of your mouth and how you live your life. So you've heard me talk about my athletic greens that now they call AG1, and I'm obsessed with it. I know. You've talked about it a lot. I'm excited to try it. I've never tried it. I'm a big green juicer, but I haven't tried it. Yeah. These are the best tasting ones, and they really, they just make a big difference in how you feel. 
but I'm really excited to talk to Kat Cull, who is the president and CEO of AG1, because not just because I love the Greens, but because she has such a fascinating story. I did an Instagram live with her on her channel, and I was just so impressed by what a powerhouse she is. Yeah, I've read her bio, and we have a couple friends in common. And I didn't realize when you first suggested her as a guest that it was the same woman because I know her in the context of Focus Brands when she was the president of Cinnabon. And I mean, I just have a funny story about that, but she, um, you know, said sent me a bunch of Cinnabons is really the the long and short of that story. And um, so I didn't realize it was the same person. So it's just super interesting to think of her as a brand builder, this powerhouse of a woman and just kind of a cool human. She seems like she's got a lot going on and a lot to teach us. Yeah, she's really cool. All right, well, here's our conversation with Kat Cole. Hey, Kat, how are you? I'm great, how are you? Good, meet my uh, co-host, Anjali. Hi, Anjali. Hi, how are you? Excellent, how are you? Kat, we have actually not met before, but we've sort of met. Do you remember how? I feel like we've sort of met. When I saw your name, I was like, did we meet through Moj? Oh, maybe we did meet through Moj. Okay, but we met, I'm going to tell the story really quick, which is, or my my fondest memory of you, I think we might have met through like Summit, Moj, you know, all mm-hmm. those folks. But then when you were at Focus Brands, uh, there was a day where I got a random email out of the blue from you and Nicole, our mutual friend, Nicole, um, saying, send me your address. Where will you be in the next hour? We're sending you something from me and Kat. And I was like, who's Kat? And they're like, just trust us. Wait home for this delivery. And the next yes. thing I knew, my doorbell rings, and it was piping hot Cinnabons oh, <laughs> sent <God>. to me from <laughs> a whole thing. Of, and it was like an obnoxious amount of Cinnabons. Like, I was like, you guys are yes. insane. It was so funny. And I was like, who is this delightful woman? I need to know her. And now here you are on our podcast. So thank you for that. Unexpected delivery. And I love the uh, the complete hard left you've made into Athletic Greens. Yeah, it was a very funny day. I do remember that. Yes. <laughs> and I also, you know, I love to start these chats with either me talking about what our guest is doing, or I've been just asking people to introduce themselves and tell us what you're doing, because you have the most eclectic resume I've <laughs> seen in a long time. So... Tell us right right now you're you're the COO of my most favorite important you know part of my health routine which is Athletic Greens which not only has changed my life but everyone I talk to I you know I, I couldn't believe it I went out with Caroline Evertson last night who's this powerhouse woman and she's like I'm like you look great she goes guess what I'm doing and I'm like this is like ridiculous so. Tell everyone who you are. So it's not the Cinnabons anymore, I guess. Yeah, no longer the Cinnabons, the the, uh, artist formerly known as Cinnabon Lady. Um, I am currently the president, COO, and board member of Athletic Greens, the company behind the foundational nutrition drink AG1 that you were just talking about that is literally comprehensive foundational nutrition, nutrients, and gut health, an unbelievable combination of 75 um, insanely high quality ingredients that work together to do pretty awesome things for your gut and body. Um, and I was advising that company, I guess, starting April of 21. And by 
December of 21, I had joined formally. I mean, it was just that amazing of an opportunity and company and product. So that's the the main gig. Uh, I sit on a handful of boards for venture-backed and private equity-sponsored companies. I'm a mom of two toddlers. I'm an angel investor in over 70 early-stage companies split pretty evenly between consumer tech, SMB tech, and consumer products. So food, beverage, wellness, et cetera. Um, And I have basically built a career out of building brands and teams around the world, just in various industries. And so that's, that's the current jam. But the first jam on your, (laughs) on your amazing resume is you started your career as a hostess for Hooters. I did. And then working your way up to vice president. So, you know, like someone like me that kind of doesn't read every word because that's the way I read. I'm like, okay, we've got Hooters. We've got Cinnabon. <laughs> there's Burger King thrown in Taco Bell. And now we're at, at Athletic Greens or AG1. So I'm like, okay. like what is the red thread here? <laughs> Take us on this journey. No, I see. No, but I see the thread. It do, I see the thread that it doesn't matter what the brand is, it matters that you're an amazing leader and blah, blah, blah. But talk <laughs> about what it was like being a hostess for Hooters and uh, how you broke out of that to become the vice president. It was so much fun. I mean, I I started working when I was 15 uh, in malls because you couldn't even work legally in restaurants as a 15-year-old. But uh, I was the child of a single parent. My mom and two sisters and I left my dad when I was nine years old. We were incredibly poor. She had to work multiple jobs. She fed us on a food budget of $10 a week for three years. And all that all that was such a gift in many ways. But it led to me needing to have a job as soon as I legally could. And so I worked in malls, selling clothes uh, at an old store that is no longer around called The Body Shop, not The Bath products company, but clothing company. <laughs> and I sold clothes and I set sales records as a 16-year-old because I just loved helping people. And so when I was working as um, a salesperson in the malls uh, at the body shop, now 16 years old, and just paying for my expenses, right? Car insurance, saving up for college. No one on either side of my family had ever gone to college. Um, And I intended to be and became the first person to get into college. So I had to save up for all these things. There was no money. um, And debt for school didn't even seem like an option. And, and so I was recruited to be a Hooters girl, but I was too young. So I became a Hooters hostess. Literally, there were Hooters girls who went into the mall, went to women's retail stores with a card with, with an owl on it that said official Hooters recruiter card. And they would come in and um, say, like, wow, you're great at sales. And you seem like you would fit with our concept. We'd love for you to come in and have a meal and apply. And I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, where Hooters, um, it was the third city Hooters was ever in. And it was just no big deal. I mean, it's it's the beach, it's Florida. There's a lot of people that don't wear very much in the summer. It was around since I was little. We went there after football games and baseball games on Saturdays. And um, so it didn't have the controversy, you know, to me inside the city that I would later learn it did pretty much everywhere else. Um, And so it was really cool to be recruited to go there. And so I went, I applied, uh, I was of age to be a hostess. So I became a hostess. And so I had three jobs. I still worked in the malls. I cleaned gym equipment. 
um, and I became a hostess. And the long story of how I went from hostess to vice president was I, you know, essentially an intersection of curiosity. I wanted to work every job in the business. I needed money. And so the more positions I could work, the more shifts I had access to. So I wasn't just a hostess. As soon as I turned 18, I became a waitress. Then I learned how to be a bartender and a cook and a shift leader. There's always someone who wants or needs to go home. And that gave me the optimal number of shifts and the optimal amount of income potential. And I just loved it. I thought it was cool to fry chicken wings. I thought it was cool to pour beer. I mean, that it was, I was young. It was fun. It was helping me make all the money that I needed for my living expenses. Of course, I moved out on my own as soon as I was 18 and saved for college all on my own. And that felt fancy. It felt liberating to not need to rely on anyone else. And then there was an intersection of those experiences, knowing how to essentially run a restaurant because I'd worked every job in the business and the growth trajectory of the company. Hooters was growing rapidly at the time, domestically and internationally, but it was relatively nascent in its international expansion. And so when I was 19, now uh, fully in college, solely working at Hooters, no more side jobs because I was picking up so many shifts there. It, it met all of my income needs and then some. Um, the company called the corporate office and said, we're opening restaurants around the world. The next one we're opening is in Sydney, Australia. We're looking to put together a team of employees who can go be trainers and help launch the franchise uh, in Australia. And my general manager recommended me. And so I said yes to the opportunity. I did not have a passport. I had never been on a plane. I'd only been out of Florida twice in my life for cheerleading competitions, but I still said yes on the phone and then hung up and was like, oh shit, I need a passport. And so I bought my first plane ticket to Miami, stood in line, got my passport expedited. And then a few weeks later left for Sydney and helped launch the franchise. And the short version of what happened is it kept happening over and over. New country, new opportunity. I was the person chosen to go after three openings in three different countries. I was then asked to lead these teams, no longer be on these teams. As and you were uh, mid twenties, right? You were you no, were I in was your still nineteen. You were nineteen doing all this. Holy wow! I was still nineteen, and I had just turned, or I just turned twenty. I had just turned twenty. Um, wow! When I did my second, um, no, my third global opening, and when That's I started incredible. leading. I was 19 when I opened Sydney, Australia. I was 19 when I opened Mexico City, first one in Central America. And I was 19, just about to turn 20 when I opened the first one in South America, Buenos Aires, in in Argentina, and then started leading the openings from there. And by that time, I was failing college because I was traveling for 40 days at a time to each country to launch these businesses. Um, and there weren't the internet options to make up classes and participate then. And so I dropped out of college, uh, when I was 20, didn't even finish my second year. And, uh, about two months later, I was offered a corporate job opportunity to move to Atlanta and oversee all corporate employee training at the corporate office. And so for half the pay that I made as a Hooters girl, uh, and no cash of learning how to live off of a paycheck with taxes fully taken out in advance, uh, which was an interesting transition for me as an unsophisticated uh, personal income manager. I thought it was just an amazing opportunity to you know, continue to break out of my background mm-hmm. and do something wow. that was 
more sophisticated and learning was my currency and it was a great opportunity to learn. So I moved to Atlanta, uh, led the employee training work at the parent company. And then as the company grew, I grew every two years, I took on a larger job. And by the time I was 26, I was one of the vice presidents of the company when we were doing 800 million in revenue, global business, fully vertically integrated. And I remained an executive for six years growing that business and uh, had an amazing opportunities. And in total, it was around 14 and a half years that I was there. Wow. I mean, that is mind boggling. What an incredible journey. Just if that had been your entire career, that's an extraordinary story. But then you went on to take your next opportunity. Can you tell us about that? About and you were 26 at your next opportunity. Is like you were right when you left. You were 26 because I, I, I was I, 31. I was oh, 31. 31. So I, I stayed as an executive for six years. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, just under from the time oh. I became a VP at Hooters. So I was an executive at Hooters from 26 to 31. I did go back to school. I have a master's without a bachelor's wow. um, nights and weekends. And it's rare, but possible. And I was then recruited by private equity firms and other hospitality companies And I ended up uh, taking an opportunity to become the president of Cinnabon as a part of Focus Brands, a parent company that at the time only had Schlotsky's, Carvel, Cinnabon, and Moe's, but would later, after I joined, acquire many more, and was owned by Rourke Capital, a, a large private equity firm out of Atlanta. And so I was already in Atlanta because of Hooters. Uh, Focus Brands and Rourke were in Atlanta. So I took this role and moved from being VP at Hooters to president at Cinnabon, uh, and then worked to turn that brand around out of the recession. It was December, it was October of 2010 when I started, December of 2010 when I graduated with my MBA, and then January of 2011 um, when I became president. So I was hired as COO and then three months later became president, and then turned the business around and led the business and the team to really special industry-leading outcomes, multi-channel growth, huge multi-billion dollar CPG business, growth for the franchisees, turning around the core business. And it was such a powerful playbook that I then took on a role at the parent company to be a group president and launch the licensing consumer products and e-commerce division to help all of our brands enter non-traditional revenue channels and retail channels. Well, speaking of (laughs) non-traditional, I mean, everything you've done is non-traditional in this traditional world. It's kind of amazing. And, you know, this podcast is so much about the important things. So I'm just trying to follow. Like when you were like, did you eat Cinnabons? (laughs) I did. I did. did. I have. Oh, I have grown up. I grew up with a serious sweet tooth and working in malls, of course, I fell in love with mall brands. So I loved Auntie Anne's, which became one of our portfolio companies. I, I loved just had an Cinnabon. Auntie Anne's on Monday. Um, don't, oh. don't, Bobby, don't judge. I know it was. So I don't even fun. know what an Auntie Anne's is. I the know athletic greens, like I don't know Auntie Anne's. No, from the, Warm pretzels. the pretzel. Oh, oh, God. oh God. Because my daughter, now my daughter wanted one. We were at the Rangers game in Jersey and, uh, they had an Auntie Anne's and that was the only thing that was really tempting. And I took so a few good. bites of her pretzel. It was really so good. good. It was worth every calorie. I was really happy yes. with the decision. <laughs> it was so good. Um, you know, for for me, one, all the the brands that I ran, eventually I became president and COO of the parent company. So it was Moe's and Schlotzky's and Carvel and we Jamba and helped acquire those brands and lead those brands. And um 
even though it seemed non-traditional and then and then my investing activity which many people are like wait where did that come from that doesn't make sense to come from someone who runs these mass market commercial brands to be an early stage venture investor and then uh, much of which in the early days was in health and wellness which people didn't know that then made the connection and eventual you know work with athletic greens quite an obvious thing to me but maybe not to the outside um my currency is learning that's yeah. it um right and even in focus brands and in and looking back at hooters there were career paths i could have taken that would have been far more comfortable like logical projection pro, uh, progression in a particular vertical and then i would just hit a point where i thought one i don't want this to be my whole story I want to learn. I am comfortable being the least knowledgeable person in a role or in a function. And that is required for someone who says learning is my currency. By definition, if something is going to provide learning, it is new. By definition of being new, you ain't going to be that good at it. By definition of not being very good at it, you're going to have a lot of embarrassing moments. You're going to have a lot of, I had a lot of moments where I needed help. Um, but I got used to it. I appreciated that it was just the beginning of what learning feels like. And then once I got to a point, it changed. Yeah, I so resonate so deeply. I get it. No, I always say that I love doing something I have no idea how to do. Like, yeah, that's same. what moves me. You know, I, you know, for sure. But I just remember that I once spent a weekend. I was hired by focus groups to spend a weekend with their female executives in a hotel in New York City. And I remember spending most of my tr time trying to change each of the brands into a more healthy version so it could help people. And I'm not sure what, you know, they paid me a lot of money for it, but I'm not sure if I was able to get, you know, anything. But, you know, most of most of the women were talking about that they do believe in a healthier way of living and that they were just felt kind of stuck trying to change the culture where they were. Yeah, I, I remember in all the roles, including Hooters, there were moments where I had to decide what mattered to me in terms of impact. And could I go start my own thing that was perfectly healthy and the future version, you know, something built for the future of these industries and consumers? Sure. But at that point, I realized that doing that would impact two people, 200 people. And I decided that being inside a big machine and having the courage to turn it 10 degrees or 15 degrees in a more positive direction, impacting millions of people and hundreds of thousands of employees was the type of impact I was excited about. Because I thought, if I'm not here, someone who cares about the future, someone who cares about better choices for people, for planet, uh, for body, what happens when someone who doesn't give a shit is running these companies. And I won't be here forever because eventually my definition of impact is going to move to, I want all the things. I want scale and what's best and that right. that is possible. But I remember decisions at Cinnabon where there were opportunities to use artificial sweetener instead of real sugar. And I'm like, both are bad. One is more bad. And so what we need to do is just be honest about what we are so people make more informed choices. We're going to call ourselves an indulgence. We're going to launch smaller portions. We're going to protect actual real sugar. Um, and, and that was a choice. 
and honoring what that brand was about at the same time acquiring Jamba Juice, taking a public company private, realizing it had so missed the boat in terms of the evolution of smoothies and bowls with less sugar, more greens, plant-based alternatives, and therein lied the opportunity. And so did I desperately want to flip a switch and have it turned into pressed juicery? Yes. Was that going to happen? No. It's not right for that brand. It would break the economic model, given where the 800 or 700 locations were. But could we radically reduce the sugar, improve plant-based alternatives, move it to a place that was moving far faster toward where the world had moved, but still being relevant a relevant price point for the average consumer that we could do? And that fired me up where I'm like, I'm going to make what has drifted away with an incredible team, we are going to make it so much better in a way that the customers will believe. Because if I had flipped a switch and made a press juicery, nobody's going to believe it anyway. Right. And the business would go down. And the business would go down because the margins can't handle it. The franchisees, the locations weren't suitable for that price point, right? You've got to pivot something at a pace the business can handle financially and culturally and at a rate that the customer can believe. And money can help accelerate those two things, but not on its own. And so I relished those challenges. But at the same time, was Angel investing in those early stage true wellness companies, in those built for future companies. And so I could kind of like feed my soul in those areas in the background without completely leaving the opportunity to make big things a little better at scale. And eventually I was like, oh, I found this great middle ground called growth stage (laughs) where it's big enough to have scale and impact Mm -hmm. and be worth my capabilities and energy, but early enough and square, like dead center for what I believe in from whether it's a wellness or a ways of working or cultural element where I don't have to sacrifice one for the other. Someone that grew up eating sugar and loving Cinnabons, and now you're at this (laughs) epic, you know, health company, Vitality, like plus, you could call it. What do you personally do? Like, like, what is, you know, what's your normal diet? Like, what, what do you believe in? What works for you? So I, I have definitely been on a journey toward more healthful and clean eating and options for many years, even when I was at Focus Brands. And so that was driven by a few things. One, my own education of what goes on in our bodies when we eat certain things, you know, research being more abundant, great media coverage about research and options. And so I was on my own journey, you know, as a woman, as a consumer, eventually as a mom, I had my first child at 39, my second at 41. Um, And, and so like many, I started reducing sugar, paying attention to carbohydrates, especially non-organic carbohydrates, leaning more toward organic, focusing on pesticide-free, whether it was named organic or not. And so just starting to let what I learned not just color my thinking, but affect my actions and what I purchased and what I put in my body. And then noticing the difference over time. And then I got just got curious and decided I'm not only going to leave my decision making to be altered 
by what happens to make it to me in terms of media, I am going to follow the rabbit trail of research. And I started doing my own research around sugar, around carbs, around plants versus red meat, around you know this journey that many people are on. And I became obsessed with the consumer continuum, the continuum that people are on. Um, no judgment of where you start your journey as long as we're on a journey. And um, what's beautiful is that when you, we can't unlearn important shit, you don't unlearn it. Like you don't unlearn it. The question is how quickly can we have it affect our bodies and our choices? And so um, my diet changed and I leaned more toward um, probably a sloppy version of intermittent fasting, not an absolute version, but the, I don't really eat past seven or seven thirty PM and I don't have a meal until 10 AM. What do you eat at 10 then? What's the first thing you put in your mouth? Well, first thing in the morning is AG1. And so that is not breaking my fast unless you're an absolutist and anything with one calorie breaks it, but there aren't. But it is breaking for people that intermittent fast, that's breaking your fast. That truly do it. Yeah. But I'm not an intermittent faster. So yeah. Call it calorie restriction, calorie timing, that community. Mm -hmm. And because it's 50 calories and there are no fats and there's no insulin response, Mm. I'm staying in a state of ketosis. And so- by that definition, it doesn't break that. It doesn't take me out of a state of ketosis. And so I'm able to lean into that. Then at around 10, I'll do my bulletproof coffee, the, you know, the old school term, but essentially mm-hmm. butter and oil and collagen protein. You put butter in your coffee and I you're do. down with it. Yeah. And it's that good, huh? I tried it. I couldn't do it. I do. Um, I sometimes will mix in ghee if I'm looking to just overall continue to reduce the dairy for the week, like if I've had a lot of cheese or yogurt or kind of broken that staple, that's the other thing I've leaned into over time, then I'll reduce that in every way that I can, because I can feel it in my gut. If I, if I break my rules, I can feel it in my, I can feel a little bit of bloating or digestive changes. And so it's AG1, uh, possibly a coffee before that, that one with fats and collagen protein in it, eggs, avocado, or um, a plant-based protein smoothie with all kinds of good stuff in it. And so that's it in that early morning. And then I'm eating again sometime around two, like one or two. And that's when it's going to be salmon, chicken, salad. You know, that is my most colorful meal is that two o'clock sort of liner, as we call it, part lunch, part (laughs) dinner. And you're at home, right? Because you are, you are, yes, which we'll get into, you know, this, right? Yeah. Whole companies remote has been from day one. And then when I travel, I do my best. We'll just say that I do my best. Um, I keep an extra travel pack of AG1. If I feel like my best option is going to be getting a grilled chicken breast somewhere and I'm not going to be able to get in other nutrients. Um, And I just do an extra one when I'm traveling anyway for a little bit of nutritional insurance. And then dinner, my husband typically makes dinner. I do not cook. I am not a cook. I do not cook. I scramble eggs. I cut avocados. That is the extent of my culinary excellence. Um, And the few times I've tried, my husband's like, let me. (laughs) 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 I can't be good at everything. And and then he'll typically make a dinner, like um, could be an all veggie dish, a few nights a week. It's a beautiful steak from a farm that we get direct to consumer and um, some sweet potatoes or something in that. I mean, very simple, simple salt and pepper 
type meals, but absolutely delicious. And the kids eat the same thing as us. Wow. And dessert? Yeah. Let's talk dessert. No dessert. And what about alcohol? Barely. Barely Barely. any. Okay. And that's been a big shift over the years. Um, Of course, in my 20s, I loved a good time like anyone else. And in my 30s, um, loved a good time, loved a glass of wine, two, two glasses of wine. But as I've gotten older, as I've learned more about alcohol's effect on the body, it's been less and less and less and less. Um, I mean, there will be weeks where there's zero alcohol. And it's great. Yeah, I go, I go days. And then sometimes there's a glass of wine, two glasses of wine, anything more than that. I actually just get full. Like it's not even about getting like, oh, mm. I feel tipsy. It's just I, my stomach, my body, the sugar from alcohol. That's what I feel more. And then I'm like, oh, I can't. I, Mama needs to go to bed. <laughs> and then I have to take a CBD gummy and some other supplements to help offset the negative effects of alcohol so I don't feel like absolute crap after two glasses of wine. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to shift gears on because you mentioned <laughs> your husband. Uh, and I was reading somewhere uh, that you have this really interesting practice with him of a monthly check-in, which I loved, loved, loved. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. So when we first met, we met, had a one-night stand, so we thought, uh, and proposed to each other within two weeks. And interestingly, we had both been out of long-term relationships recently. I was out of an 11-year relationship, not married, but might as well have been. Uh, I was out of that relationship for six months when I met my husband, and he was out of his eight-year relationship uh, for about a year. Needless to say, neither of us were looking for a long-term relationship. I thought I was going to have a lover on every continent, given my global business. um, And that felt very exciting to be. Um, My husband had his own visions of what his next uh, few years would look like that also did not include a steady single partner. And uh, But that was all changed when we met. And so here we are, we meet, we have a one night stand, we propose to each other within two weeks. And it became apparent that this was it. Like, you're my person, he's my person. And so we had several conversations about what we learned from our previous long-term relationships, what our role was in what parts we didn't like, uh, what we learned about ourselves and how we had changed over time. And we just said, I want to, we both realized now we want to be better at home than we are at work. I'd never said that before. The thought had never entered my mind. It's not that I didn't want to be, have a great relationship, but I had never consciously said, I actually want to be better at home than at work. In fact, subconsciously, I likely believed very much the opposite. And so we talked about it and we said, okay, if we both naturally are coming to this place in our lives, where we want to be better at home than at work. How does one do that? <laughs> and we said, well, what can we learn about what helps us be good at work? in business? What are the practices? What are the things that help you learn and develop and grow and stay close as the business changes and as you change? And so we realized that one of those practices was some methodology of regularly checking in and giving feedback and receiving feedback so that little things didn't become big things, so that what mattered to someone could be celebrated and not leaving it to the whims of a moment to be addressed, but protecting a place. So he had heard about a couple that um, celebrated their month anniversary for decades, no matter where they were in the world. They had champagne or a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And so we agreed that we would hold the space of a month anniversary every month on, on the 10th of every month, which is the day that we met, tattooed on my arm. 
And um, that would be our time to connect and check in. Then we borrowed versions of questions we had used in different leadership groups, but made them a bit more personal. And we asked each other on the 10th of every month, these six questions. I ask him, he answers, then he asks me the same question, I answer. It might take three minutes. Well, probably the shortest one is 10 minutes because we're writing and we're taking notes in between. And some have taken hours because it facilitated deeper discussions, but typically it's around a 20 minute exercise. And the questions are, what's been the best part of the last month, the worst part of the last month? And again, related to our relationship, doesn't have to be something uh, caused by the relationship, but whatever most affects how we show up for each other. Best part, uh, worst part, what's one thing I can do differently to be a better partner for you? What has worried you the most in the last 30 days? What have you been most grateful for in the last 30 days? And what have you been most proud of? Again, something that is most related to how we show up for each other. That's amazing. Wow. Well, I that's that's intense. And that takes a major commitment. And I've been married 33 years. And I have learned, you know, things work differently for different people. I have learned not to, you know, to try not to let the words come out of my mouth as I'm feeling something. But, you know, <laughs> soon after. You know, mm-hmm. when I can when I can phrase it in a way that's not attacking. Mm-hmm. Right. Then. But I, I mean, a month later, I'd forget, you know, how's your month? Good. How's your month? Good. All right. What's for dinner? <laughs> you know, what are the kids? Do? What are the kids? All we do is talk about the kids. What are the kids doing? And now we talk about the dogs. That's such a great call out. What the check in doesn't do is remove the responsibility to talk about something in the moment. Right. And so it, you don't hold it, right? You don't hold everything for the check in. We have those conversations to your point. As soon as we've learned what is the most productive way yeah. to have conversations? But the check-in is about what remains. Like after a month, what are the highest highs and the lowest lows? And what are the things that stick with us? And the the question, there are two questions that are most powerful. One is the, what is one thing I can do differently to be a better partner for you? Every month? Is, that's Every like, month. That's 12 different actions you have to take this year. <laughs> It's also, it's a lot of feedback, Kat. I don't know if I could handle that much feedback from anybody, including my partner. It is, but sometimes we don't always get better. And so sometimes it's not a unique thing every 12 months. Sometimes it's a, hey, (laughs) here's what we talked about last month that you could do differently to be a better partner. And it is my answer again this month. But differently doesn't mean stop. Differently could mean something you did that I really hope you do more of. Um, So it's stop, start, continue. And that's what the differently is about. So that's one question that's particularly illuminating and actionable. um, And we act on it. I mean, that's the point of the discussion. It's not just to be heard. Right. It's This is literally like feedback. It's like all of the HR, like anything I've done on the CPO side of my career, it's like direct feedback in the moment, real-time feedback. It's a monthly check-ins, you know, to make sure that everything's going as planned. Stop, start, continue. That's a big one for sure. But the idea of applying it to your personal relationship, I think is so interesting because I've never heard anyone say to do it. And I have to admit, I'm I'm good at giving feedback. I am not great at receiving feedback. <laughs> and it's something I've had to work on throughout my career to be like open to it and and try not to be defensive. I cannot imagine how difficult it would be if I was getting feedback from my husband of 20 some years 
every month. Like I feel like right. I would kill him. Like I love yeah, him so like, much. Because it's mutual. That helps, right? You don't get down. You don't ask all the questions and the other person's in the hot seat. You're really sharing this. And that's that other question that's so illuminating is when you look back on the last 30 days, what stands out that has worried you the most? That is a really, it is always a powerful question. And I remember when I had my second miscarriage and we did our check-in and my husband's answer blew my mind because I, I suppose that I believed that there was no way it could be as hard on him as it was on me. And his answer to that question, this was a couple of years ago, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it made it very clear that he was devastated, grieving, feeling a degree of um, immobility through this moment that our day-to-day -day interactions had not revealed. And it forced me to honor that in that moment. And, and of course he didn't want to, his words, I didn't want to bug you with my extra feelings while you were grieving too, like while you're dealing with this. And so this, like back to this podcast, the important things, you know, what matters, we made the choice that we matter most and therefore only actions will truly make that an honest statement. And those actions are staying close to each other as we evolve like vines, creating, yes, we're individuals. Yes, we're going to grow in different directions. We're both on a journey. We're discoverers. We're learners. But we have to create forcing moments to come back together and really get the most out of those moments. And that question of what's worried you the most, because um, you just don't go around talking about that every day. It's mm -hmm. deep. Kat, I feel like you've just changed the course of my relationship for the next 20 years by giving this um, very generous exercise. I'm going to make my husband do this. Not mine. No, I'm not doing this. No, Bobby's no, like, I'm, I'm not doing this. No, no, no. I'm not doing this. It's No, no. And I'm very close to my husband. No, I know no. you are. I'm going to, but no, but just what you're talking about, like even the miscarriage, I mean, we went through that too. And we didn't talk about it in the same way because I think my husband was so focused on holding space for me and my grieving. And it wasn't until I got pregnant, held it, had our daughter who's now 12. But after that, then it sort of came out in time of how hard it was for him to go through that. And I never allowed for that conversation because it just didn't even occur to me. I mean, similar to what you're describing. And I think an exercise like this would have saved both of us a lot of pain in that moment of realization so late that he had suffered so much and didn't feel like he could talk about it or whatever. But I think on an ongoing basis in a future looking basis. I'm going to try to, maybe not every month. I feel like that might be, maybe like quarterly. Maybe we start like, try. why don't you try it once yeah. and see how yeah. it goes? Yeah. Try it once. See how I know. It goes. I might need some alcohol, but. But I want to, I want to switch gears to your kids because yeah. working at home when, you know, when you have young kids, because I, I always worked at home a couple of days a week. I, you know, what, even when my kids were young, but they're always breaking in. Like, how do well, you maintain your professionalism or do you not or do you let them break it like how you know it's not easy no i mean during the peak peak lockdowns um in 2020 and even parts of 21 
I, you know, even our nanny couldn't be here, couldn't have any help. And so that was yet the, was running the business. In fact, at the very beginning was still running focus brands, restaurants around the world, which were radically affected. I mean, and they're right as COVID was hitting, my daughter got incredibly ill and was in the ICU for 12 oh days gosh. and uh-huh. not with COVID, but just unbelievable timing. And so I remember having my AirPods in, needing to literally lead the company through crisis and manage my daughter's wellness and care. And then I ended up getting sick for, it was like respiratory viruses that were going around that were not COVID, but that were horrible. Um, And it was just crazy. I mean, I, I can look back and see my true woman power, mom mm-hmm. energy um, at its peak navigating all of that. And it was just, it, I, I think I was able to draw on a lot of my experiences as a young leader opening franchises around the world where you just recognize the condition of newness and unfamiliarity. And everyone was in this condition of newness and unfamiliarity. So I did not experience the feeling of worry or shame or what's going to happen if they hear my daughter crying or what's going to happen. I was just kind of like, F you, if you don't get it, I've got, I know what really matters. And um, I'm somehow finding a way to not totally drop the things that don't matter. Mm. And it's going to be okay. Now, some of that was, uh, it's my personality. It's my focus on my daughter who was ill. And also I'd moved up into a key, right? Senior executive position. So it's easier to have that mindset when you're in charge. And I, I never um, forgot that and did everything that I could to make sure that that was um, extended and believed and felt by every individual mm-hmm. on our teams, regardless of how new they were with the company or how much formal authority or whatever, you know, people management responsibility they had. I think what you and Bobby have both said as an example, certainly for me, just, I mean, Bobby and I have had these conversations and hearing you speak, Kat, it's really empowering, I think, to that next generation of worker and leader to see women in your positions and our positions saying these things and really living it and showing it to be true that they are balancing many different things that it's not a perfect science that it's a pie not you know not it's like a the different pieces of the pie are different sizes at different times um and that we are all kind of fumbling as we go too but making the best of it and supporting each other in it and i think it's so important for um for us to talk openly about this stuff it's super helpful i know for me to hear it i one of the first conversations bobby and i ever had um, as when I asked her to mentor me, it was about how to balance it all. And like I was starting a new job and um, could I ask for flexibility and that kind of thing? And she's like, you have to ask the question. And I don't I don't think if she hadn't prompted me, I never would have done it. And like hearing you, hopefully somebody's listening to this podcast, hearing what you're saying, hearing how you prioritize your time and now feels like, oh, I can do that. I can um, ask for that time and for that flexibility or not to have that call early morning, late at night when I have to put my kid to bed. Here's my line around that. And I use it for myself and I ask it as a question of others. I say, this is what I need to be successful. This is what I need. The time, the flexibility, and that's not just honoring time in the morning that is my sacred time with after my AG1 and my coffee, but with my kids and my husband, because we are morning people 
And my kids grew up with the smell of coffee in a French press pouring the kettle. Like that is our time. And yes, I make rare exceptions, but they are, that is what I need to be successful. I am not asking for someone to bend themselves into a pretzel. I am saying, this is what I need. This is how you get the best of me. And then when I'm working with others, whether it's a new hire or a peer or even an advisory role um, or an interview, I ask, what do you need to be successful? You just answered the last question that we ask everyone. And honestly, mm-hmm. I, it was it's basically, and I ask everyone, according to you, Kat Cole, what is the one piece of advice you can give anyone that's listening today that's going to change the course of their life? So that could be your answer, or you can give them something else. But that is like how I like to close these conversations. Yeah. um, Certainly having that as a statement and a question or a statement that you deserve to ask and answer over time because it changes. And you should ask it of yourself before you do of anyone else. The thing I would I would leave folks with is a version of what my mom wrote on my birthday card. And it kind of sums up all this. We're all on a journey. We have different life needs. We learn over time what matters to us most, the most important things. And hopefully we line up actions that back up what we say are the most important things with where we spend our time and who uh, is number one and number two and number three in our world. But that's a journey. And it's okay if you look back and go, I didn't get that exactly right then. And I want to get it more right now, like I did with my relationships. And the the phrase, a version of a phrase that she always wrote was, don't forget where you came from, but don't you dare let it solely define you. And mm-hmm. my ad is our truth is in our roots. Like that's our story. That's who we are but our past shouldn't be our anchor. Like you have permission to change. I have permission to change. And as long as we stay rooted in the most important things, that change is likely to be incredibly positive over time. How proud of you is your mom? She is very proud. She, um, you know, stayed with our dad. It was an alcoholic for, for many years before she finally decided to leave. And she told me then, and has reiterated to me over the years, that her mission, all she wanted once she left, um, which was very difficult on her, all she wanted was three independent girls. That was it. She just didn't want us to have to need Mm -hmm. anyone or anything. No more, no less. That's the bar. Um, And she achieved that and um, feels incredibly, incredibly proud to see where we as, you know, three girls have all landed. And um, it is my life's mission to continue to make her proud. Well, I'm sure you are. You are incredibly inspiring. It's, this has been such a fun conversation. I've learned so much. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you guys. 